Welcome to another episode of My Badass Friends. This is Paul McClintock. In this episode, you're going to hear my discussion with Aaron Blatt. Aaron is a very unique, very, very special human being. When I when I headed down this path to do these discussions and interviews, this is one that I had on the radar from the very beginning, and I'm I'm so glad I did it. I fought traffic and headed my way up to Los Angeles, and Aaron and I sat at his kitchen table and just had an awesome discussion. I met Aaron about 14 years ago. Our wives actually met at the Boulevard School in Woodland Hills, California, and our now 18-year-old children, his daughter and my son, were in preschool. And our wives became fast friends, and Aaron and I, in turn, became fast friends. And um, he's, he's just a wonderful guy. You know, a couple of things stood out for me, and I'm, I'm certainly not going to spoil anything that comes up. But, you know, this is a guy who has done some amazing things as a human, as a professional, and as an athlete. But I, I would love for you to, to examine in the early part of this discussion how often he was pushed down and discounted and how that fueled him through the rest of his life. And to a point now today where he, he talked toward the end about still peaking athletically, mentally, intellectually, as a father, he he wants to always be peaking every day. And I really just loved his personal definition of what success looks like. I'm not going to go on too much longer. I just really hope you enjoy as much as I did this discussion with a true badass and one of my good friends, Aaron Blatt. Enjoy. Aaron Blatt. How you doing? I'm great, Paul. How you doing? I'm doing good. Right. I, I hope you're ready to talk about yourself. I usually don't talk about myself or, well, I think my kids would disagree. I do talk quite a bit. It's usually a, a one-way monologue when we're in the car. They don't talk as much and I seem to do most of the talking. You're, you're a humble guy. It's one of the things I like about you. So I, I'm excited to get you talking today. Um, you know, my wife and I talk about you and your wife a lot and you're a fascinating guy, which is why I'm super pumped that we're here. And you were walking me around the house after I did a very, very long drive up from San Diego to your beautiful home here in, in Los Angeles today. And in typical Aaron Blatt fashion, you came up with something very unique. You had me try smelling salts for the first time. Uh, yeah, that's something new. I mean, I just kind of got that as a joke. Uh, my friends come over and work out once a week and, uh, thought of a way to way to spice things up get some smelling salts and uh, <laughs> see if we can put a few pounds on the pr there you go um well for, you were easy on me and and i just got a little taste i can't imagine going going uh, directly to it so um aaron let's get into it you know where i'm going to start the the conversation so um where are you from okay actually i'm home i'm born and raised los angeles uh been living here my whole life um except when I went to college and a little bit after that. But for the most part, um, born and raised in the San Fernando Valley. So, which is crazy. It's not crazy, but when you meet people from LA, everybody's always from somewhere else, you know? So it's kind of rare when you meet people and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I grew up here. So um, grew up in the Valley. Um, we started off in Granada Hills, which is a suburb in the Valley. Had a great childhood. Um, you know, it, it was that time in the eighties uh, when you just got on your bike and you took off, yeah, you know, parents and no, no one knew where you were at. No one really cared. And you just come home when it got dark and, and that was that. So, you know, I had a really, really fun childhood. 
So for people that don't know, I've spent some time in the Valley. Granada Hills is kind of heart of the Valley. Is that a fair? Yeah. 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 It's uh, it is. And um, I didn't spend all my time there. We eventually moved to Northridge, but yeah. Um, and growing up there back then, I didn't know just how even big the Valley was. Cause I was just a little kid living in this, in this world. So that was, that was my whole world. Um, you know, going to the park, going, um, you know, we would just, uh, there was a place called the pyramids where guys would ride their motorcycles. So it wasn't yet developed yet. It was like a, um, they were going to build houses and when they get to get it ready and they do all the, um, ex excavating. Sure. So they had, and these guys would come with their motorcycles and just be jumping up these things. It was amazing. So that was, that was fun. Um, well, I, I ask heart of the Valley mainly because I think so many people, especially young parents today, can't even imagine letting their kids roam, especially in the heart of the Valley. So it, it does. I mean, you said yeah. it was a special time. I think, I think you're right. It, it was. And I think it was a different time. Like, unfortunately, you know, I have kids now and we didn't give them the same freedoms yeah. that we had. I mean, when I was in fifth grade and we moved, I used to have to take a bus with a transfer all the way to Northridge every day. And it was like, didn't really think anything of it. Sure. And there was no phone. There was no, sometimes we missed the bus, but we just got on and I would, it was me and my brother. So I would go to his, he was in junior high. I was in elementary school. I'd walk to his junior high, kind of avoid by getting beat up by all the <laughs> junior high kids. And then uh, we'd walk to the bus stop and, and eventually get home. It'd take an hour or so. Wild. Yeah. It's wild. So, so let's hear, give us a little information about your family growing up. So my parents are Sarah and Jim Blatt. Um, well, they're divorced now, but sure. um, growing up, my mom, actually, she came here from Greece when she was young, two years old. They came through Ellis Island. Um, and her parents actually were survivors of the Holocaust. Um, my grandmother was in Auschwitz. And my grandfather, he wasn't, uh, I'm not sure what camp he was in, but he was actually able to escape. Okay. And then they had an arranged marriage, which is kind of interesting, and um, came over to America when my mom was two and then had another five children. So they had six, six kids total. Um, and my dad, he's actually comes from Pennsylvania, Punxsutawney Phil, home of the famous uh, Groundhog Day. Okay. Hold on. So let's say that a little bit slower for everybody so, listening. Okay. So he's from Punxsutawney okay. where they had Groundhog Day. Um, so he, his family originates from, I think, Germany and Russia. Okay. So probably mostly uh, Russian. Um, and they moved to Pennsylvania uh, but he was born and raised out there. All right. So uh, go back a little bit before we go really deep on your father and, and all those dynamics in America. Mm -hmm. um, I had no idea that that your family had a link to the Holocaust. Um, it, it, let's go ahead and go super deep right out of the gate. I mean, I, yes. obviously that has to have an impact, you know, obviously on them, but I'm assuming it trickles down to you, your brother. How did that affect yeah, you? For sure. Um, it's not something they like to talk about. They, they really didn't talk about it a lot, but my grandmother had the tattoo on her forearm with the wow. numbers. So it's just, it was something that was always present wow. and you saw. And my grandfather, although this didn't happen in the Holocaust, it happened later in the Greek, uh, there was a civil war in Greece. He lost his leg. So he had, he had like a wooden leg or sure. kind of a prosthetic leg. Um, so he kind of just always had those reminders, but 
It was definitely, it was more close to home when, when we were younger in school and you start to learn about the Holocaust and, and what they went through. Um, my grandmother, she was in Auschwitz and where they were doing the medical experiments on, on you know, she was a young woman yeah. at the time. Yeah. And I think luckily there was a nurse that took a liking to her. She said like, you know, and kind of steered her through and wow. But she made it through the whole ordeal. Like she was there from like kind of start to finish. And then when it, when they got liberated, that's when she got out. And and so do you know what age she was at that time? I don't know exactly, but probably like, you know, early, like late teens. Late teens. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's um well, there's a lot going on in the world right now or in Israel, around Israel. And um, I, I had no idea. This is, this is yeah. why I love these conversations that, that that would have an impact. So is it something you still, you personally think about a lot? I mean, it, you know, growing up, we weren't very religious. I'll say that, but we had a strong Jewish identity. And I think um, it's something that I keep and I gave to my children as well, because, you know, when you feel like someone tried to exterminate your race, or, totally. you, you know, you just, you, you're proud to, to be Jewish or, you know, you, you know, I just proud to be, um, you know, that they were able to make it through that and that, um, oh, sorry, man. I'm, no, <laughs> I can see the emotion on your face. Yeah. It's, so, it's yeah, it was hard. And it, it's not that it was not hard. It was hard for them. It wasn't right. hard for me, but it was something I was very, I was very proud of them. And um, it's just something that I wanted to. You know, I, I'm very proud of being Jewish in a yeah. way, even though I'm not religious. And, uh, you know, I was bar mitzvah. My kids are bar mitzvah. Yeah. But to us, to me, it's more about the culture and the people than um, more of the spiritual stuff. For that, I think everybody has their own spirituality. And, I, you know, you're free to think how you want to think. Totally, totally. And I, I know you well enough to know you believe that. But, um, uh, yeah, we're in the first five or six minutes of talking and, and yeah. talk about arguably the most heavy duty subject in history, Cer certainly one of them is uh, is a big deal. So you're, um, let's jump back. I, I kind of interrupted you earlier, but you, we started talking about Groundhog Day. Well, so yeah. Let's hit on your dad. Yeah. So my dad's from Punxsutawney. Um, that's in Pennsylvania. And that's where they do the Groundhog Day every uh, February 2nd. <laughs> so I call him every February 2nd and tell him happy Groundhog Day. Amazing. Um, I believe he moved out West in his late teens. I think they moved to Arizona and eventually moved to Los Angeles. And he became a criminal defense attorney. But he when what age did he get here to Southern California? Uh, probably maybe 20s. I'm okay. not sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think he was in Arizona for a few years. Okay. And then they got they came out here to uh Southern California, Santa Monica. So I think he was in his 20s. He went to law school. He went to Loyola, uh Maramont, became a lawyer. Same as my wife. I believe he was a lawyer at 22. Okay. You know, graduated the bar. So he's still practicing attorney today, still dealing with all the criminals. Very passionate, right? Yes. I mean, you you've told me about your dad before, and I've met him. He's a is a kind of larger than life figure. Yeah, very intense. Yeah. Yeah. So so go back to I mean, I want to talk about your childhood a mm -hmm. little bit, but being and I and I also want to go back to your parents' meeting, but um an intense father, criminal defense attorney. What was discipline like in the house, you and your brother? Like, how did that all go down? Well, there was a lot of tough love. Yeah. You know, corporal punishment, I guess you can say. Um, me and my brother fought like crazy. <laughs> and then my mom would do that. Wait till your father gets home. Yeah. 
he comes home, she starts screaming about us. And then he would just beat us both up. He didn't even care. Cause he was like, I don't care who did it at this point. Yeah. You know, you guys are, <laughs> but um, even though it was tough love, there was love, you yeah. know, like he, he was very supportive of us. Always wanted the best for us. Um, high expectations, uh, things of that sort. So, you know, he, he ruled with an iron fist, but he also had a soft side and was very understanding, especially me and my brother, because we were so different. He was a lot more academic. Yeah. And I was a little rough around the edges, but he, I think because he had so much, uh, he dealt with so many criminals, <laughs> not that I'm a criminal, but <laughs> he knew the certain different, you know, how to deal with different types of personalities. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. I've heard you describe yourself as rough around the edges yes. many times. And it's funny because Nikki and I think of you as, as like a big old teddy bear with a rough side, but uh, I, I don't view you necessarily as rough around the edges. So your brother, who's older of the two of you? My brother's older. He's uh, about three years older. Okay. Yeah. And um, let's go back. So how did your, how did your parents meet? I don't know the full story. I am actually, I, I don't know how they met. Um, they were young. I think my mom was probably 19. Okay. They got married pretty young. Okay. And um, as they did back then and had kids right away. Yeah. Um, I think she moved straight out from her parents' house. Okay. Right. Right in with my dad. Awesome. And, yeah. and um, she was raised, remind me where? Uh, I believe they were raised uh, in Inglewood. Okay. Yeah. But here in LA, so here in LA. her main. Yeah. Thing. Okay. So what are your, um, I love it. I, I keep thinking about your dad ruling with an iron fist mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I feel like my dad did too, but I did, like you said, I always yeah. knew there was love there and I, I never was concerned. Did you, you felt that too? Oh yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, as we got older, it almost became like a joke because he would spank us and then we'd be like, it doesn't even hurt anymore. We're too we're too old for this. Yeah. Your brother's but, a big guy and yeah. you're a big guy. Yeah. So we I, just, how that goes. we got to let him, but he was great. Cause he always say, do you want to be grounded or do you want a spanking? Cause we're like, well, we want a spanking that, that over in 10 seconds. All right. So what, what are the earliest memories you have as a kid? Earliest memories. I mean, for me, I remember when I first got my first skateboard, I was probably five years old just skating around on that all the time. I had a big wheel too. Remember those old big wheels? Of course, of course. Handbrake. I used to go around on that like crazy and probably fighting with my brother. We fought a lot as okay. young kids and um, kind of really shaped kind of who I became. You know, when you, when you fight every day, you know, and you have an older brother that's much bigger than you, um, you get pretty tough. You, you know? don't have a choice. I didn't even realize it. I didn't even realize I was tough. I just thought I was getting my ass kicked all the time. And then I got in a fight and somebody punched me. And the first thing I thought of was my brother hits me harder than this. <laughs> like, what is this? And um, that started, a. I, I fought quite a bit in like elementary school, junior high, high school, pretty much all the way through. Like, I mean, not a lot, but like a lot of little street fights, you know, sometimes with your friends, you get in fights. Sure. And then during that whole time, I'm getting beat up too by my brother. So there's there was that. So I'm the exact opposite. I got in one fight. I, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but I like bragging about it because, and maybe he'll listen to this someday. His name was Jason Dowdy. Mm -hmm. He got the best of me for sure. 
And then he went on to become a very accomplished high school wrestler. So I always had oh. that claim hanging yeah. over me that they, they, the one fight I got into. So, so why, why were there so many scraps and fights? You know, the elementary school days, I don't remember like the, the reasons for all the fights. Um, I, I like to think I never really started a fight. I was always like a kind of a smaller kid. So people thought they can, you know, try me and see, you know, that it might go well. I usually did pretty good. I, I lost a few fights, but I would say overall, I won most of the fights. Yeah. I, I got in. You know, it's nothing, it's nothing to be really proud of, but it's just, it's kind of, it's what happened. You know, it's, it's the truth. It's, you know, yeah, no, I, that's, that's why we're here is to tell the truth. And it was like you said earlier about, about riding around the Valley. It was just a different time. Yeah. And I still ask my boys it, they, they, once a week, if there was a fight at school, the answer is always no. There's never, there's never a fight. There's, it's the craziest thing. I mean, and then just to, I think when I was in high school, I got in one kind of like epic fight, but I just want to bring this back kind of to my dad because we kind of, he knew we, I wasn't getting the fight the next day. And it was a big, one of the biggest guys in school. And he said, son, you, you know, you're going to lose. I said, I know dad, I'm going to lose, but I don't care. Cause you know, he, he disrespected us, the, the family and everything. So he goes, well, let's train. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. So we trained like for an hour, like we could put the the mitts on and we're training and we're training. Unbelievable. And, and he's like, you sure you're going to do this? And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And I went to school the next day and sure enough, all my friends are like, well, you're going to get killed. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't care. It's going down. It was a whole kind of crazy thing. And then, of course, like in the middle of the quad, I jumped up and I hit the guy and, and he ended up beating the hell out of me kind of. But um, it was a cool thing because after that, there was like the whole school was kind of in shock. And they were like, huh. even the guy is like, I was crazy. Went to the principal's office and they were like, are you OK? And I'm like, yeah, I'm OK. And then they go, no, are you mentally OK? <laughs> that guy's like twice your size and i was like anyways i had a great relationship with the principal he used to call me slugger because i got in so many fights oh different gosh. times now if you hit someone you're uh you're out of school yeah but um you know it just I, you know I, I i like that story not because of the fight but just because my dad understood you know he could have probably put a stop to it or d done certain things but he sure. knew as a man you had to do these certain things you know you you had to stand up for yourself well, I obviously I didn't know that story. I've known mm -hmm. you for, you know, give or yeah. take a decade and a half. And, you know, I know what kind of person you are, but I'm not surprised at all. I hope your dad's proud when he listens to this yeah. of that story. He might cringe a little bit, but I hope deep down that he's proud. No, I think no, he was. He is. And um Well, I mean of that. I know he's proud of you. I mean of of training you for for this. Oh, no, yeah. yeah, no, he's definitely proud of that. <laughs> That's good. So what what were your what were your mom and dad's priorities for you and your brother? Well, my dad was a big uh big in the education. You know, he he was a lawyer. Um unfortunately, I did not excel in school as well as my brother did. Um but education was important, family was important. Um you know, respect loyalty yeah those type of things is what is what he kind of uh impressed upon us and my mom was she was great you know she just always told us to do our best you know very supportive um she's amazing she's still working doing great yeah. um I see her every weekend um 
But I mean, I think for the most part, they just were your typical uh, parents back then. You know, that we had a we had a long leash. We were latchkey parent, latchkey kids, yeah. and um, they both worked, so we were kind of out doing our own thing. Yeah. But you, could you, the, so you said family, mm -hmm. um, you could feel that as a young boy, that that was a huge priority for them, or is it more that you're looking back now? Well, of course it's a, a bit of both, I guess I'm looking back, um, on my mom's side of the family, we're Greek and it's like that, my big fat Greek wedding, like okay. we're always together. So that fam that side of the family is very close. Okay. You know, I have 14 first cousins. Wow. Yeah. And, um, we're all very close. So we see each other all the time. Um, so th that kind of like, we've always had this strong family ties and we're lucky because on both sides of our family, uh, of my family, we all live in LA. So yeah. everybody's here. Incredible. Yeah. And it's, you know, one of, one of the early discussions I had with, with John Stone, he, he said the same thing. I mean, you could just feel the power of that familial unit. And, yeah. I, and I think it's, unfortunately, it's a little more scarce than, than we'd like these days as people move around and you know my family's all over and so it's it's difficult to stay close and i and i love the the stories about cousins and big fat greek wedding type scenarios where everybody's together yeah there's a, a ton of parties there's almost never a weekend where there's not something going on you know we're always busy which is great but sometimes it's nice to have a weekend off sure so um outside of fighting i know sports have have always been a big part of your life when 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 and how did they come into your life as a, okay. as a young so boy? I started playing sports as soon as I can remember. Actually, the first sport I played was gymnastics. I was okay. back in the 80s when gymnastics was big in the Olympics. I wanted to be a gymnast. Um, that dream fizzled pretty fast when <laughs> I tried. But, uh, you know, and but honestly, it gave me a great base, athletic base sure. for, for um, sports later. But the truth is, growing up, I was awful at sports. Okay. The one thing I knew was how many plays the minimum was you get to play. Like in baseball, I played three innings because you because you had to play three innings. And every time I went up to bat, I got the take sign, meaning like hopefully you get <laughs> hopefully you get walked, yes. right? Because I was a hundred percent going to strike out if, if I tried it. Football, you got to play four plays, and that's all I played. Four plays. So being a coach now, I'm very sympathetic, especially as I've gone through the age groups with my kids um of kids who aren't doing too well and sometimes i'll tell their parents you know i was a very poor player when i was younger give it time sometimes the, everyone develops at, at a different time so it was tough because my brother was like on every all-star team of any sport he ever played wow so he was you know and he was much bigger than me and everyone's like what happened to you like we look like twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and I'm, and I'm Danny DeVito, right? Well, and you're no small guy. I'm no small guy, yeah. but back then I was kind of small. Yeah. And then um, things really didn't turn around for me until high school. So in high school, I started playing, you know, I was playing football um, and I just started to get the hang of it, I guess, yeah. you know, and I, and I was pretty tough because of all the beatings I took and Amazing. I, and I just, it, I started to do well. And then in 10th, 11th and 12th grade, I played varsity and I was on a great team. We went to uh, CIF championships. Um, and it was just a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. And then going forward from there, my dream was just to play college football. Yeah. That was like the only thing I thought, like, you know, that was my reason to go to college, I guess. Sure. But a little thing that was kind of depressing for me was I didn't get recruited at all. Like nothing. 
no letters, not even letters. Right. My brother had a shoebox. I just remember full of letters from all the colleges wanting him to, you know, wanting them to come there. And he went and played uh, college football, Colorado. Okay. Buffaloes. And, um, but I was, you know, I was like, all right, well, I'm just going to have to walk on, on a team. So that was my, my goal, you know, coming out, I, I went to San Diego state. Well, let, let's, let me interrupt yeah, you. Let let's me, put a placeholder there. Cause we, yeah. we'll get to that. Cause I want to, I want to go back to one thing. Um, you made a comment that you, now that you're coaching, you address different things with parents of kids that might be struggling. So my first question is, um, how did, how did you react as a young boy when you were getting the minimum? Uh, it was very upsetting. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, and I remember the championship game of uh, my Pop Warner football team. I didn't get in at all. Yeah. I didn't get the four plays. I just, they didn't, they didn't put me in. So it was hard. I mean, it was upsetting. You know, I wanted to play. I wasn't very good. So I understood, Yeah. you know, um, but I, I understand the feeling that kids have. And I always tell my son, I said, you know what? Like we, we play rugby. I guess we'll get into that. Yeah, we will. I said, I got a lot of respect for the kids weren't very good like they go out there they know they're gonna get their butts kicked totally you know it's even harder it's, it's one thing if you're a superstar out there and you're killing everybody but if you're not that good and guys are running you over i mean it says a lot about their character that they're willing to go out there day after day you know game after game and just get railroaded you know it's, it's tough totally. but i give those kids a lot of respect and i always say anybody who puts on a pair of boots and, and steps out on that field they got my respect because it's not an easy thing to do and it's really not easy to do if you're not that good. It, it, it's well, I'm so glad I went back to that because everybody listening probably has some tie into yeah. youth sports, modern youth sports and parental interference and coaching. And it, it's amazing that that was your view. So you said it was depressing. Did it, yeah. is that a, did it stick with you as motivation as you moved through the rest of your athletic career? Yes. Well, I always just felt like I had something to prove. I mean, People might have thought I had like a what a short man's complex, you know, but I, I had something to prove because I was always the brother of like, oh, they call me little B. Like I was, you know, he was the big star and I was sure. always, you sure. know, so I always had something to prove. I, I I felt like I had something to prove and that kind of stuck with me um, probably to this day. Amazing. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I'm not, I, I didn't know that, but I'm not surprised and, and I'll tease, we'll get into more athletic stuff mm -hmm. later, but people are going to hopefully be excited that here's a guy who got the minimum, but really became a, a I would say a very prolific athlete later on. Um, so football was the main priority, but did you play everything? Well, I, I wrestled in high school, which is, I did very well. And that was, um, and I always, I felt like my gymnastics actually had a lot to do with that because I had great control over my body. Um, and then wrestling was just so good for football and later rugby, I, I really have a lot of uh, respect for wrestling. And it's also one of the hardest things. It's so people, hard. It's so hard. And then it's the truth. Never mess with a wrestler, man, because it's not going to end well. Yeah, we shared in, in high school, the basketball team shared a locker room with the wrestlers. And actually, Jason Dowdy, he's getting two mentions in this conversation. Yeah. But he was, he was competing for the state championship. And we'd come in from practice and see him in the shower in a nylon suit with a hood on jumping rope with the hot water and the steam. And I just, I, I yeah. knew they were playing, they were on a different level. It's it's yeah. And I was tempted to go wrestle in college. I actually got recruited uh, to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. But when I went there, I was like my, I still was talking to the coaches, you know, I, I still want to play football. 
He's like, yeah, you can, but when you wrestle, we want you to wrestle at like 152 or something. I'm like, I'm 200 pounds. <laughs> and they go, yeah, yeah, you're gonna have to drop weight. And I just, it was just too much. I just felt like, you know, I'm gonna stick with football, which didn't work out. Well, we'll get into I, that. Yeah, I, I don't know if didn't work out is the way I'd categorize it. So, so were there coaches? And we're still kind of in the youth phase. Uh-huh. Um, that that did great work for you that have stuck with you after all these years youth coaches uh no okay like not youth coaches like i think i grew up in a, a different day and era these coaches were brutal i mean they were mean interesting like it was it was tough man they tell you to your you know they tell you to your face how much you suck and this that and the other like they were young guys probably at the time but they weren't uh great coaches they weren't they, they didn't inspire anything for me you know they I don't think they they liked me very much because I wasn't good, you okay. know. Um, but yeah, honestly, I didn't really have a good coach until I think on high school football, okay, and wrestling. And is I mean, obviously, we're going to jump around in this conversation. Yeah. Of course, you you do coach now. I know right. it's always been a big part of your life. What what's the source of that? Why be a coach? Well, the the source of it is actually my own son because I wanted to coach him. Like, well, at first I didn't want to coach because I'm like, I want him to have, you know, it's it's a weird dynamic sure. where you have a father, son. Sure. And I told him from the beginning, I'm like, if we get into this weird dynamic where you're talking back to me in front of players and I'm out, you know, I, I'm not going to do that. And that started in soccer. So thankfully I said, I need you on my side. And he's always been on my side and he's been great. I've been coaching him for, I don't know. 12 years, yeah. 13 years. It's a, a long time. And he's always been, you know, he doesn't cause a problem and that's been good. And at first I was just kind of not going to coach. And then my wife signed me up to coach soccer, which I know nothing about girls soccer in the beginning with my did, daughter. Yeah. And um, that's kind of how it started. And then I just never stopped. Never just, stopped. Yeah. We'll, we'll talk about it a little more later. So um, you you shared a little bit about your relationship with your brother, mm-hmm. which I, I didn't have a brother, but I would, that's how I expect it goes a lot with, with scraps. What about friends at a young age? Definitely had a lot of friends. Um, I think when we lived in Granada Hills, I had like a really good set of friends. Um, so it was tough when we moved Yeah, and I was in fifth grade, had to start all over. Sure. Um, and never quite developed the same friendships that I had over there. Um, but then going through like high school, I'm still friends with a lot of the people that I went to high school with. And that's great. Yeah. I always say you stay friends with your high school friends because you were friends before, before they knew what you were going to be. You know, you're just you. You're not Aaron, the scrap metal guy or Aaron, the rugby player or a lawyer or this. Everyone's got all, everyone's just potential. Yeah. So you're friends with those people because you knew them back when we were just people. Unreal. Right? That's such good. It's freaking great perspective. Yeah. That's so good. I always see like, like they, and it's kind of like, we haven't gotten into my wife at all, but we're high school sweethearts. Oh yeah. We're going there. But we've known each other since we were 16. Yeah. It's like, so before anything, so, you know, we're on the same team. Yeah. No, I think, I think that's beautiful. Um, so we're about to leave kind of the childhood age here here in a second. What what are your earliest memories that started to shape work ethic, chores, things like that? Well, I think just watching my dad was a workaholic. I mean, he worked seven days a week. He's up at five. He'd be at, at night. He'd be in the kitchen practicing his cases, you know, out loud. Sure. 
and just seeing him work so hard um, kind of developed a strong work ethic. Although, you know, he said, do you want to be a lawyer? I'm like, no, I, I don't want to be a lawyer. You work seven days a week. Exactly. And, you know, my mom would always go crazy. We'd go on vacation. He'd bring a stack full of files and just work. Yeah. So he's still, and he's still like that to this day. He's still doing it to this day. So, so he obviously has a love of his work. Oh yeah. Um, does he, I mean, maybe this isn't appropriate for me to ask, but is there, is he, do you think he's reflecting on balance now as a, as he's later in his career? Uh, maybe, maybe I still like, I, I mean, we talk all the time and I'm telling like, you know, slow down, you're working too much, <laughs> but that's what he loves. And yeah. I, I've come to understand like, that's, that's who he is, Yeah, you know, and to take that away from him wouldn't be fair. I think you it's know? great. Again, great perspective. So, you know, it's, it's what he does. It's what he loves. Um, I think looking back though, he, he made it to all our games. You know, he came to the games. He was there. That's you know, awesome. he worked a lot, but he was there. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, did you all, so, you know, I think it's pretty rare to find somebody who stayed in essentially the same mm -hmm. city their whole life. Was was traveling a big part of growing up? Um, yeah, we definitely went on some trips. Um, did the cruise thing. We went on a few cruises. Um, nothing too crazy, but um, we we definitely traveled. My dad took me to uh, Washington, Washington D.C., and then uh, Pennsylvania. I saw where he grew up, and that was kind of a great trip because my dad's not the biggest guy in the world, but he would tell me all these stories of all these fights he got in and how tough he was <laughs> back in the day. And I'm like, you know, I I don't believe you. I didn't believe him. And um, he's like, no, no, no. He had all these great stories, but I just thought they were stories. And then sure enough, I we go to Punxsutawney. And I start meeting people and everyone keeps telling me how tough my dad was and how many fights he got in. And, oh, he beat this. I'm like, I was in shock. I was in shock. I'm like, it's true. Yeah. So um, one of my, I'll let you take a breath and maybe a drink of water. One of my, I don't know if favorite is the right word, but a standout memory for me, um, we've vacationed together a few mm -hmm. times and we were, you know what I'm going to say, I think we were in Montana. We were with our friends from Cleveland having a kind of a chill night over the Blackfoot River and all our kids are off doing whatever they're doing. And there was this big steep hill that kind of fed down into the little camp area where we were. And your son, Jake, I think a little bit, you can tell why he really did it. But I think in the moment, the kids were like, is he really, why is he going to ride down this super steep hill? And he ate it pretty bad. We kind of all saw it happen. But then we found out later, I'd love for you to share why he did it. Yeah, so I go, Jake. Big crash, big, yeah. big wipeout. I said, Jake, why'd you do it? He said, You have all these great uh stories, Dad. I, I wanted one too. And I'm like, Well, now you got one. <laughs> it was great. But yeah, I mean, geez, that could have gone pretty bad. It could have, but it's you know, I, yeah. I bring it up because it kind of sounds similar to what what you saw with you know your father mm -hmm. on, on that trip. It, it's impressive. Yeah. So, okay, so you let's talk about um one of my favorite people, your wife. Jess, mm -hmm. um, you met in high school. Where? What high school? Montclair Prep. Uh, was a private school in Van Nuys. Okay. And did you? Um, I don't know the exact years and the age gap, but did you meet? Did you know her before you kind of became sweethearts, or no? A little bit. So I probably knew her in tenth grade, and then in eleventh grade, we had some mutual friends, and we were all going to go on a trip to uh, Magic Mountain. Okay. 
which for for those not from Los Angeles is a giant oh, yeah, amuse- six flags massive roller coaster setup. Right, amusement park. Yeah. And um I had one friend with me and I I picked up Jess just because that was the way it was going to work out. And we went there and all the other people who were going to come didn't show. So we were just together all day that day. Wow. And um I remember that day I told my one friend who was with me and I said that's going to be my wife one day. I don't know why I said that, but I said that. And we started from that day forward, we started going out and that was it. Like it was just a match. Amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and that stayed, you were steady from then on through high school? Through high school. Um, in college, we did have our uh, part time where we were apart here and there. We broke up, got back together, did the normal thing all through college. Uh, and then pretty soon after we got, you know, we got back together. So we already touched on high school sports, obviously a huge part of who you were. Mm-hmm. Um, other other key memories that that helped shape you during the kind of the latter high school years? Um, I mean, I think for the most part, it was ap- ap- athletics yeah. that kind of shaped me. And um, just my brother and my dad, just growing up in the family that we had. I can't really think of anything offhand that's like a, like a one pivotal moment sure, sure, that sure. kind of just did something. It was just, it was the whole thing. Um, I remember one thing that was cool. My wrestling coach got me a job at Black Angus as a busboy. Steakhouse. Steakhouse when okay. I was 15 years old. Okay. And I worked in the bar section <laughs> and people would feed me drinks all night long. <laughs> Hey, Jake and Caleb, put yeah. earmuffs on, right? Oh, they know. They, they, know. they know. They know. We actually went back there not too long ago. Amazing. And I was like, this is my first job. Yeah. And um, it was just such, it was like a very much of a growing up period for me because I was pretty young. I was 15, hanging out with all these adults, drinking and hanging out. It's pretty fun. So you've made your way. We'll get we'll get to your career later. But what are what are the one or two things that you learned in that job that stayed foundational with you? Well, the first thing I learned is actually just to be on time, but also I I had the shift where I would go and set up the whole entire restaurant. So I would have to get there like maybe two hours before the restaurant opened, supply every bus station, get all the tables made up. And it just, you know, and then I would get tipped from the server. So if you worked hard, you got better tips. Yeah. So I would work pretty hard and I'd get pretty good tips. And even back then, I was making over a hundred dollars. Uh, a night being oh, a busboy. Okay. Yeah. But you start to understand incentives. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. Um, so w- was there, okay. So let's go, actually, let's go back here first. Um, you talked about not getting recruited mm-hmm. for football, but let's, let's talk through the transition from high school to how you made your way to college selected. Okay. So, so I went to San Diego state and I was in a walk on the football team there. So we go there, I have this giant black roommate. This guy was great. We ended up being great friends. And he ended up playing rugby later too. And there's about 30 walk-ons. Okay. So we go to practice and they were doing the drills. But for most of the drills, they said, hey, if you're a walk-on, you need to stand to the side. We don't have time for you guys. I was like, well, how are we going to make the team? They're like, well, look, these guys are already on scholarship. We paid for them. Right. So about a, after about a week of that, they called all 30 walk-ons uh, into a meeting and they said, we're just going to cut you all. Okay. So it was brutal. It really was like the hardest phone call I ever had to make, make, I, you know, I had called my dad, tell him I had to come home that I was cut. 
And uh, it was just so upsetting. I, I never felt like I got a chance, you know, like I didn't even get to really participate right. in the practices. And I knew I was better than a lot of the other guys on the team, but I didn't get a chance. So it kind of, I lost my focus in a way in college because I lost what I really wanted to do. Sure. So I had still never really heard of rugby. I mean, maybe seen it on TV once, but you know, I was just, now I was just going to school. Still, but you said come home, but you stayed. I had to come home for a few months because football started early in the summer. Got it, got so it. the dorms weren't quite open yet. Yeah. So I had to come come home for like two months and then go back when school started. Okay. And then school started and I did what most freshmen do. And I probably partied a little too much, you know, and I, I, I didn't have, I'm a, raising my hand. I yeah, the same thing. I didn't really have a focus and um, I did okay, but I ended up, you know, getting in a little bit of trouble. And I had to go to junior college for a semester to, okay. to get back in. Um, so that kind of helped me. And then I think I was working at IHOP. Nice. International House of Pancakes. Black Angus, IHOP. Oh, man, I've had a million jobs. <laughs> I worked at a car wash, drying cars. I've done everything. Everything. Just, you know, it's been crazy. But, um, you know, I seated some guys at a table and they, hey, man, you look like you should play rugby. And I'm like, what's that? And they go, oh, we play at San Diego State. You should check out a practice. Oh, wow. Okay. So I was like, okay. So I just remember I went to a practice and I'm like, that looks cool. You know, that's something I, I would want to do. Any experience with rugby? Zero. Or zero. Yeah. Zero. Okay. So then I just, you know, immediately started, you know, went out for the team and it's a club team. So you're on the team. Right. Wasn't that great. Um, and I loved it. It was great. It was kind of like a match made in heaven. Although I did have like two significant injuries than like my first year, okay. which was hard for me because I had played football, wrestled my whole life. No injuries. First year playing rugby. I do a third degree separation of my shoulder out for like, you know, six weeks, finally come back first game. I break my leg oh. and I'm like, Oh man, I don't know if I could do this. Like this sport is crazy, you know? But then the other side of me is like, you can't let this get the best of you. Sure. There's no way. So I continued to play. I think my first year I was on like the B team, like they have an A team and a B team and it got a little better. And then I, they moved my position to hooker which is like in the front row. And that was kind of like a blessing because it was just like, it was, I was like tailor-made to play that position. And uh, I really excelled. I became the captain of the team, ended up becoming two-time All-American, uh, which was like, that felt like redemption for me. Like when that happened, especially the first time, the second time, yeah, I knew I was going to get it. But that first time I was, I was redeemed, like athletically after taking like, you know, that loss in football and losing yes. that. So that was, that was a big deal. Um, I thought about going back. I was asked, you know, they, they actually fired that coach that year. And I was asked by a new coach if I wanted to come out. But by that time I was like, I think I found my sport now, you know, I was playing rugby. That's what I wanted to do. So I just stayed with that. So Jess is younger, correct? Oh, no, we're in the same grade. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. So when you went to San Diego state, where was she? Uh, she was back home Okay, and she ended up coming out maybe two years. No. Yeah. On my second year, we moved in together okay. at like, which was probably a little too young, like 18 years old. Yeah. Hey, you were, you were high school sweetheart. Yeah. Like, so we moved in together for a while and then that kind of didn't work out, but she stayed in San Diego. Um, and we lived apart. Okay. And then that's when we kind of went through our ups and downs that sure. you know, young couples go through. 
Okay. So um, back to rugby. So let, let's take, take us through the kind of the end of your college career and then how that morphed into your post college career. Right. So, you know, you've, you're finishing up college. I'm being recruited by all the club teams in the area. This is now there's like an MLR, like major league rugby, professional rugby, but back then there was no, that didn't exist. Um, so I was planning on staying in San Diego. I wanted to stay out there, but my coach was being recruited to another team in Huntington beach. And he's like, well, I don't want to go unless my, you know, my hooker comes with me. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he made this whole big deal. And I'm like, yeah, but they already got me a job over here and I'm working. He's like, come on, let's go. You know? So I go to this team in Huntington beach. And then two weeks later he goes, I can't do it. And he moves back to oh San Diego and I'm yeah. kind of stuck out there. Anyways. Um, I play out there for a year. It, it goes Okay. Uh, after that I do, uh, I go out for a year, not a year, but a season in Australia just to get some more experience. And that was a lot of fun. So, so real quick, sorry, set the stage. You say the word club, but this is high level. Yeah. It's it, division one. It's the highest level there is in America. Yeah. So it's, it's pretty high. Um, like the equivalent of professional rugby. Yeah. For, like now here. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I just want to set the stage. This yeah, is not so. like guys in the park on a Saturday afternoon. This is a real deal. Rugby. Yeah. And some of the guys are getting paid and not paid. It's just, it's, it's a weird mix of things, you know? So sure. when I, when I came back from Australia, I was kind of not sure where I wanted to do. And um, if I wanted to play for Huntington beach. So I came back to LA to stay with my dad for a few weeks to figure it out. And I was like, let me check out this team in Santa Monica. And I went and introduced myself, met the coach and, I thought it would be a good fit and it was. And um, I, I stayed out there for about 10 years playing with them and we won two national championships in uh, 05 and 06, which was a big deal. And I uh, had a great career. Yeah. It, was a, it was a lot of fun. So how did you, so you're, you're going a decade, basically through your entire twenties. Um, um, let's talk about how you made a living and how you made ends meet during that period. A lot of different jobs, a lot of different jobs. I, I was um, copying medical records at one point. Okay. I had this giant box that was like, um, would make copies basically would go and like for, for lawyers, for an attorney service. That's what I was doing in San Diego. I worked at bars forever being a bouncer. Big surprise. Yeah. <laughs> no surprise. <laughs> right. For your friends and family. But um, yeah, I was a bouncer for a long time. Um, came back home. And this will, what brings me into what I'm doing now, I, I was pretty lost. Like when I got, it wasn't lost, but I had no direction. When I came back from Australia, I knew I wanted to play rugby, but for work, I just, I didn't know. And my dad kept telling me, he's like, you know, I have this client, he does this scrap metal thing. I think it would be perfect for you. And I was like, oh, all right, I, you know, I'll, I'll meet him. So I met with him and I was like, okay, I'll, you know, I'll give it a go. And he's like, look, I'll put you in the yard. It's minimum, minimum wage. But if you want to try it out, you know, I'll hire you. And just give us a little more scrap metal. What is What does that mean? So it's recycling. So um, steel, aluminum, copper, stuff like that. We come into the yard, it gets processed and then sold. So we're just buying and selling metal. And you started this before rugby was done, correct? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So this is in 2000. Okay. I started working for a company, Metal, et cetera. And um, it was interesting. You know, I was like, okay minimum wage that's pretty right. tough yeah like you know but i'm gonna look at it like school like it's like it's it's school and i quickly kind of moved up and then i was driving big trucks which was a great way to really learn the business like all the ins and outs 
all the accounts, all the other yards. It was really like a good education. And honestly, I was pretty loyal to the company. And I probably would have stayed there. But unfortunately, the boss started going a little crazy. You know, right. he, got, he got hooked up on drugs, got very paranoid. Has a couple of crazy situations happen like over and over again. And then, um, you know, it just came down to pride. I think it was, you know, he, he started accusing everybody of stealing from him. Everybody's stealing from me, you know? And when you've been loyal and when you've been true, yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough blow to take. So I remember I came up to his office. I have two kids at the time. Jake was just born. And I said, Arnie, you know, I, I don't understand. You think we're stealing from you? And he's like, yeah, you know, he's, He's pretty much belligerent at this point. Yeah. He's totally cracked out of his mind. And I said, you know what? Put out your hand. He put out his hand. I shook his hand. I said, I quit, man. I'm not staying here. And I just walked out the door. Yeah. No plan for nothing. And I remember I called Jess. I said, I just quit my job. And she's like, what? She's like, what are you going to do? I'm like, I have no idea. Wow. I have no idea. So and then like, just throughout that day, I'm like, well, maybe I'll start my own scrap metal yard. Like if I'm ever going to do it, this is the time. Like I have to do it now. And so you're mid late twenties right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. And what, what, real quick, little side note: what was the what were your goals with with club rugby at at that point through your twenties? I mean, well, I wanted to play for the national team. Okay. Okay. Um, I guess we can get into that later. What happened there? Um, oh, let's let's get into it now. If you're if you're okay. Well, okay. Well, like the way it works is you play for like. Um, your rep side, like Southern California or Northern California. And then they would have this big tournament and then they would pick what's called a player pool that they would pull from for the Eagles. And I was in that pool for quite a few years, but really never got my name drawn, okay. which was fine. Um, and then, uh, you know, you play against a lot of guys who are on the team or I played with guys who are on our team who play for the Eagles. And, you know, so I wasn't like, I wasn't that impressed like with the guys who, who played on the team. So it wasn't a big deal, but I did get an opportunity in 05. They called me up and they said, Hey, I want you to come to Japan on tour. Unfortunately, the timing was horrible. So at that time, Santa Monica, we, we were in the playoffs and this is like the game before the national championship game. And I was the captain of the team. So I had to make a, a really tough decision. Yeah. Do I leave the team? and go play on this tour and get capped and, you know, become a national player or do I stay with the team? And um, it was tough. I mean, it was, it was, I, you know, they gave me a couple of days to think it over, but then I thought the right decision was to stay with my team and, and play. And then we ended up winning the national championship. So it felt like it was worth it. You know, it would have been worth it either way because to me it was the right thing to do. And I, I didn't think of it as like, um, how you say, like, um, you know, people, you know, if you're not like an eagle or you weren't capped, like it's a big deal. You know, I, I understand that, but to me it wasn't. You know, I, I was confident in the player I was and the caliber of player I was that I was good enough to do that. It didn't work out for whatever reason, yeah. but it didn't really, it didn't bug me. I didn't need it. You know, I didn't need that affirmation to like, you know, I would have loved to done it, but I didn't need it. I guess if I needed it, I would have just went. You would have done it. I would have done you, it. You mentioned earlier, loyalty was a huge priority. And, I, you know, I always say actions speak louder than words. And I mean, yeah. I don't know if there's a better example of loyalty that I've ever heard. Yeah. And it was, you know, and the, I think the club really responded to like the guys on the team were very appreciative. They knew the sacrifice that I was making for the team. Wow. 
And, um, but it just felt right. It really did. And I'm, I'm to this day, I'm totally happy with that totally decision. Pleased. Yeah. Well, and you won a national title. So karma. Right. Yeah. Your way. Exactly. Amazing. So, okay. So, um, I'm, I'm putting the puzzle pieces together here. Mm. So, so forgive me. So that whole period of all kinds of different jobs, uh-huh. rugby that obviously wasn't paying the bills by itself. You got married. Right. At what age? Uh, 29. Okay. Okay. All right. So you waited. A, I thought it was earlier. So you waited a long time. Yeah. Okay. And then the kids came through all this. Yeah. Pretty quickly. So, all right. So you did it. You, I paused you earlier. So you quit your job mm-hmm. and you kind of, you kind of teased it out that like, what better time if I'm going to start my own thing. So yeah. let's pick it up there. So the timing was kind of perfect because probably about a year before, maybe a little before we got a line of credit on our house for about 150,000 and we never touched it. And so when, when I left that job, I said, you know, I got all this money in the house. I can use this to start the business. And, you know, I told Jess, I said, well, if it works out, it'll be great. And if it doesn't, we'll lose everything. <laughs> but there's not. How, how did she react to that? You know, she was supportive. Like yeah. she was, she was willing to, to take the chance. Cause I said, we got to take the chance. Like you got to take it once, right? Like you got to, this is my opportunity. So but you like, also have two little kids. Two little kids. Yeah. And she was not working at the time either. Okay. But I just felt like, let's just take the chance and do this. So, and and it was almost serendipity. As I was driving home from that job, I saw a, a yard with a for rent sign on it. And I actually went in there as I was driving home and I got the guy's paperwork and wow. everything. And, um, you Sorry, know. Sorry, this is driving home from quitting? Yes. Okay. Drive, drive, driving home from quitting, I see a yard that's like, like for lease. So I go in and I get the, you know, I talk to the guy, I get the paperwork. And I said, I think, I think we can do this or we can, we can try and do this, you know? And um, I got one guy from the old yard to come with me because a lot of guys were at this point kind of jumping shit because it was going crazy. Sure, he was going crazy. He was going crazy. So I got one guy to come with me. I drove the truck. I ended up buying a truck, a forklift, a few things, um, and just started. And all through the home equity line. All through the home equity okay. line. Yeah, I just I spent the whole thing in about three months. <laughs> okay, everything. All right, so you're 150k in debt. Yep, and. Um, but I, you know, I just thought if I could just make money on every deal, that's my focus. Like just make money on every deal. And I started doing it. And, you know, as crazy as my old boss was, he was a great teacher in the beginning. Not that he was teaching me, but I was just watching him, you know, and i watched his system. So basically I just recreated what he already had. You know, I just recreated and I was doing basically the same sure. thing. I was just as competition. Now he didn't like that, of course. And he was crazy. And there were some stressful times there where he was sending people to spy on me. He was calling me up, you know, threatening to sue me, to do this, do that. It was was a very concerning time in a way. But, you know, we kind of just put our head down and just kept going. And honestly, my first year was great. I actually paid back most of my debt. Wow. That first year. And so then, so real, sorry real quick what what did define what a deal is you said you wanted to make money so, on every deal so when when you buy scrap metal so someone's got 10,000 pounds of copper so i know it's worth let's just say $3 i buy it for $2.50 and i can make 50 cents a pound okay just i and it's very easy cuz you always know what you're going to get paid right it's just how big your margin's going to be okay so i just thought if i could just make money on every deal something you know sometimes the margin's big sometimes it's tiny it just depends um but that was my main focus. And then I had my wife 
you know, helping me with all the bills and all the paperwork and all the compliance issues, which was a big factor and it sure. really, really, really helped. Can't do it without her. She's like, a beast. I'm well, yeah, yeah well aware. I she can't is. stress that enough. Like if she was to stop doing this, mm -hmm. I would stop doing this. <laughs> can't do it without her. Um, you know, and we worked small, like, you know, we had, when I first started, it was me and another guy and my wife and that was it. And then we slowly grown to now where I have two drivers and, and eight guys working in the yard. It's kind of grown throughout the years, but I've been able to pull, we, I ended up pulling almost every employee from the old company. Sure. And then six years after starting the company and doing that, I ended up buying the old yard that I, from, from my boss. Wow. And then I, my office now is the office I quit in. Oh, wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So the symbolism is right in front of you it's, every day. It's right there. It's a, every day. And, you know, and just watching what he went through, he's he's passed away. And this is a man who was extremely wealthy. Yeah. He lost everything. He was homeless. Wow. At the end, he used to come to the yard and beg, beg for money. Wow. It was pretty tough, you know, and um, kind of taught me a lesson, though, and like a little bit of humility that things can go south yeah pretty fast and um yeah he died alone in a, a motel wow um you you've i mean i can't wait to go back and listen to this because you've already in, in about an hour hit on so many impactful powerful life lessons mm -hmm. it, it's incredible so what is a what is a day in the life like actually a two-part question what's a day in the life like professionally for you and what is a day in the life like for Jess and and so everyone knows you yeah. do you do work together and run the company yeah. together. I mean, I'm up early. I'm up probably 4:35 every morning and um I like to be at the yard by about 6:15, 6:30, open everything up. It's for me now it's more just getting everything the mornings are like the most action, just getting everything going, getting the trucks going, where they're going to go, their scheduling, um checking the markets which is can be fun or terrifying if right. coppers going down and start freaking out. Um, but just kind of running everything. Jess, um, sometimes she likes to come early too. Yeah. She's there every day and um doing all the paperwork, all the QuickBooks, compliance. I think we do like 10 different agencies that we have compliance with that wow. we have to stay. It's very stressful. I don't want her job. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um so it's great though, because we have a great relationship. Like, I don't really know how much anything costs because I don't want to know. Okay. I just say, if there's a problem, let me know. Let me concentrate on making money and you pay all the bills. She manages things. She manages. All so things. you, so you say things like yard and, and I think people like, this is a big yeah, operation. Like, yeah. It's a fairly uh, big operation with forklifts and skidsters and semi trucks, um, you know, uh, excavation machines torches so it's a very um what's important that in that line of work is your employees like they got to know what they're doing yeah because it's dangerous work and even my guys who know what they're doing things happen like guys, of course you know oh, yeah. guys get injured and it's tough it's tough work you know um one of like we have one of the highest workers comp in the country because wow. it's such a dangerous yeah. job so what's your what's your leadership style how do you describe it <clears throat> Well, I, I mean, I would say I try to lead through example, okay. mostly. Um, I try to be pretty understanding. I know I've done every job there is in the yard, so I kind of know what it takes. I try to give people space to kind of do their thing, take breaks on their schedule, you know, do 
do, do, do things in a way that they think are, I always tell guys, if you got a way that you think that this can work better, I want, that's how I want to do it. I want you guys, you know, to have some, you know, input on how this goes. So I just try to be uh, pretty understanding. I feel like, you know, I've been able to retain pretty much all my workers, uh, you know, my longest one, almost 17 years now. So that's like a good sign that, you know, you got to keep them happy. You got to respect them. I'm very flexible with their schedules, you know, like if you need time off, whatever. And then if guys, if, you know, if guys get injured, I, you know, I, I keep them on the payroll, you know, how, as long as it takes. Yeah. I kind of feel this response, you know, you feel this responsibility for these guys when you have them in your employment Yeah. and they're relying on that check every week. So I think, you know, the guys understand when they see it's slow, I never cut anybody. I'll take the loss Yeah. for as long as it, you know, as long as it takes yeah. basically. So um, I think they respect that, that you're willing to keep them on, even when it's slow, very slow, Yeah. you know, and then um, they respond, you know, by being loyal yeah. and in this business, loyalty is everything because there's a lot of money on the floor, you know, yeah. just everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not there all the time. I'm not there now. You have to have a hundred percent trust in your guys because if they want to, they can ruin you. Yeah. You know, it's very easy to steal. So luckily, like I have, like I said, I have a great crew. You got to take care of them. But if that trust is there, you trust them, they trust you. It works out. And when you say money on the floor, you're talking about huge commodity loads. Right. right? Yeah. When you have, maybe you have 500,000 pounds of cable on the floor. That's worth, you know, a lot of money. Yeah. It's very easy to skim or to do different things or drivers can take a detour. It's, it's, It's not, you know, this type of business, it's very easy. It's, it's a cash business. So it'd be very easy for people to, to take stuff, but having that trust and them knowing that you're going to take care of them, yeah. I think goes a long way. It's incredible. What would uh, your gentleman that's been there 17 years, what would he say about you? Well, he's a very nice guy. Um, he always says he, he prays for me. Okay. I'm not sure why, Okay, but I guess I need it. Uh, but um, he's like, yeah, might be hey, hey, yeah. yeah. No, he's great. Um, I'm not sure what he would say, to be honest, but I think, you know, we have a good relationship. I think we have a lot of trust between me and him. And um, I think he would just say that I'm a good Patron. Yeah. That's what he called the Patron. Patron. And he's praying for you. He's praying for me all the time. That that kind of loyalty. I mean, I know very little about how your business works, but like you said, dangerous, tough, intense. And and to have that kind of loyalty is really impressive. What, what, from a professional standpoint, what's the, what's the hardest thing you've ever had to deal with and how did you deal with it? 2008, the markets crashed. Yeah. I mean, just, it was unbelievable every day poppers and 15 cents, 20 cents. And that was just right after my first year. And I had done pretty good that first year. And I had kind of saved up some money. And I thought, oh my, I just thought it was all going to be sunshine and roses after that. And real quick, just to set the stage, we say markets and most people think about the stock market being down 40% and housing crashing, but your market is an an incredibly important part of the financial markets. Right. It's a commodities market and mainly like copper, lead, um, aluminum, yes. um, nickel for stainless. So everything crashed. I mean, just to give you an example, copper at the end of 2007 was almost $5 a pound. Okay. Midway through 2008, I think it was like a dollar 30. Wow. I mean, it just crashed. And I had a, for at the time I thought was a lot of copper. 
And every day I'd just come to work and say, oh my God, we just lost $10,000, just lost $20,000 every day, just down, down, down. And I didn't know what to do. I was pretty sure I was done. I just didn't know how to be done. I don't know how to explain that, but like, I just like, I didn't know how to quit, but I just, how am I going to make it through this? And, you know, I remember stainless steel was 15 cents a pound and steel was, went from 25 cents a pound to under a penny. Wow. A percentage of a penny a pound. And I'm like, this is, this is crazy. And then um, I just decided I was going to sell whatever copper I had, take the loss and just, and start over in a way. And wow. once, and once I sold it, it was like a relief because I wasn't losing money every day. Right. Like I had just, I, I, I took a huge loss. Yeah. Crazy. But I was able to start over and I, I still didn't know if I was going to make it out of it, but I slowly just kind of crawled my way out of that hole and things got better. Interesting. And, and, um, what, what were Jess's feelings going through this? You're tied at the hip. I mean, family and business. It was stressful. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely stressful. Like we're looking at the situation. Is this going to work out? Um, we weren't sure. And I was very new, like one year in. I always say, I kind of joke sometimes, like if I knew now what, like, I'm glad I didn't know back then what I know now, because I probably wouldn't have done it. I wanted to start this crazy because it's all the compliance stuff and all the yeah. taxes and this, that, and the other. If someone like, it was almost like the, I was so naive. I didn't even know. I just, I went in blind, but I think sometimes that's just how you got to do it. You just yeah. go in, you put all your chips on the table. I was just all in. And, um, that's kind of like my dad told me, he's like, you know, when you have to make it, you have to make it. There's, there's no choice. It's such good advice. So what's the state of the union today? How's the business doing and what are your, what's ahead? So we're doing good. Um, we've grown quite a bit. Like I said, I started off with just me and one other guy. We have about <clears throat> eight guys in the yard, uh, two drivers, me and Jess as well. There's, you try to find that sweet spot where you don't want to get too big where, you know, your overhead goes crazy. Sure. You want to be maneuverable. Um, and we're just kind of trucking along. Yeah. I mean, just doing the same thing. Um, I kind of found a little niche. We do a lot of work with the cities, like Department of Water and Power and different city agencies. And that's my little niche that we do. Um, we're not open to the public, so it's more just business to business. Okay. So, you know, I think, we're still, you know, I want to grow the business, but in a smart way, you know, just not, you know, I don't want to get too crazy with my overhead. I'm actually trying to lower the overhead as much sure, as I can, but sure. it just seems to be going like, you know, everything's going up. The cost of insurance is going up everything. So it's difficult, but like I said, I just keep trying to, I just, every day, I just try to make money on every deal. That's my goal. Yeah. Make money on every deal. And uh, I'm really good at a reset over the weekend. Like I go zero, zero, zero every, every Monday, like, right. I got it now this week. I got to make money to pay for this week. I don't worry about last week. Amazing. I did great last week. Fine. But now it's zero, zero again. And it's game time. Yeah. Good or bad. It's like that goldfish mindset. Right. Yeah. yeah. You kind of have to have a short memory. Yeah. Cause sometimes you had a terrible week. And I think when things get really bad, the way I deal with it is I just go day by day. Yeah. I got, I just make it through the day, make it through the day. And slowly you crawl your way out of these holes but and being in business now by myself for almost 17 years it helps because you've been through the fluctuations you've been through like sure. the really sure. slow times and then you're you know 
And it teaches you a lesson. Like when things are good, you better save your money because <laughs> they're not always good. Oh, you're totally right. Yeah. So do you, do you consider yourself a positive person? I would say yes, for the most part. Yeah. Would Jess give the same answer? I'm not sure. Would Kayla and Jake give the same answer? Probably not. Probably, probably, not. probably not. I, I think you're a positive person. But again, I, I what I love about these conversations is I get to go through them mm -hmm. kind of scientifically and make notes about the most important things. Mm -hmm. And that whole, I think that's what life's about is just you, you just put on your running shoes the next morning and you yeah. run. You just keep going and keep going. Um, one of the bonds that you and I've always had, I think, is our love of dogs. And I know dogs are a part of your business. So I would love for you to just provide some color about yeah. why you love dogs and also how they play a role in your yeah. business. Well, I've always been a dog lover my, my whole life. I've always had dogs. I don't think there's been a time in my life where I haven't had a dog. Um, but the business, like having a yard in a, in a area of town that's <clears throat> an area that's, you know, pretty crime infested, uh, homeless people everywhere. You need dogs. The, the dogs are invaluable because, you know, crime is a, you know, a crime of opportunity, right? If it's easy to get over the fence and steal some copper, they're going to do it. Yeah. But if you have a couple of dogs there, it just really makes a big difference. Like I know a lot of yards that get ripped off all the time. And I said, you have dogs? They go, no, yeah. said, you need to get dogs. Yeah. Because even though, well, don't tell the criminals this, my dogs won't do anything. I mean, they're, they're actually, We're going to edit this out. Yeah, they're pretty, they're pretty uh, friendly, but they just bark like crazy. Yeah. And people are like, it's not worth the risk. They don't risk it. So it, it's comforting to me to have the dogs. I've always had the dogs in the yard. So, and then even at, at my home, I like to have a dog too yeah. as well. I think people, when they hear a big dog barking, 100%. They, they second guess it, you know, like, Maybe not. So I always say to people, I love dogs too. And I always say, you know, the, the negative on dogs is they don't live a long time, but if you're up for it, just give us the rundown of, um, the, the dogs you've not necessarily your favorites. I know they're kind of like kids, but what have you had and, and how well, much love did you have for them? You know, it's like your kids, you love them all the kind of in different ways, yeah. but kind of the same. I think, um, my first kind of like big dog, I got, we got an American bulldog named bear. Yeah. And I just love that. He was great. He was kind of a monster. I mean, he was huge, kind of crazy dog, but he was great. And, you know, just the, the most loyal dog. Um, I've had quite a, like I said, if you do the math, I've had quite a few dogs all this time. And usually I have like multiple dogs. Right. So right now I have two dogs at the yard. I have a German shepherd and a Doberman. Unfortunately, my German Shepherd, he lost a leg. <laughs> I know that. Yeah. Someone's another dog like bit his leg from under the gate. And it was a horrible situation. Uh, we tried to save the leg. It wasn't, we weren't able to save it, but he's still doing great with three. He's had three legs for four years now. Um, and then at the house, we have a French Mastiff, Turner and Hooch dog. Yeah. Great guy. Big. Just a lover though. Like yeah. just the friendliest dog I've ever had. Like would not hurt a fly. Yeah. But I say like, he's all like, he's all show no go. <laughs> Cause he'll put out his chest and he's got a great bark, but he won't do anything, which is kind of the way you want dogs. You don't want an aggressive dog. That's going to like bite somebody sure, or bite a sure. kid. And, and the dogs, I mean, they literally live at the yard. They live at the yard, but yeah. I always say, people would say, Oh, that's sad. I said, not really. Cause I spend about 10 hours a day with those dogs. I'm never home. Yeah. So my dog here, I mean, 
he's here with everybody else, but I barely see this dog right. because I'm not, I'm not home that much. So, you know, it's just a different kind of relationship, but they're in the office with me all day, hanging out, sleeping. And then at night I let them out and they do their thing. They, they're built in security. Yeah. So, um, Aaron, it's an amazing story about mm-hmm. your, your working path and the hard times, which I think is what really drives value for people. So, um, let's talk about you personally a little bit. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you have mentioned Jake and Kayla multiple times. Mm-hmm. So um, talk about the early days and becoming a parent. Well, I think, I think like anybody, it's kind of like a little bit of shock in the beginning. It's definitely and I, yeah, I remember like when we were just taking Kayla, who's my oldest, my daughter home. And I'm like, they just let you go home with this thing. Like we have no training, right? We don't know what we're doing, but you kind of catch on, um, you know, and, and it was interesting having a daughter and having to, deal with all those things yeah. and great. Um, She's a great kid. Yes. Yeah. Very proud of her. Um, but yeah, we kind of, you know, and then I quickly, our kids are 16 months apart. So we pretty quickly decided we wanted another kid. And if we were going to do it, let's do it now yeah. before we change our mind, you know, while they're both in diapers and all that, get that all out of, out of the way together. Um, so, it, you know, I don't have any big revelations. Like when they were young, it was just uh, just going through it like everybody else. Sure. So what were your and Jess priorities for Jake and Kayla? I think for them just to have a good head on their shoulders, to yeah. have common sense. One of the most things I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them now is, uh, you know, for nowadays, like they're not woke. They're like <laughs> anti-woke, yeah. right? Like as much as you can be, yeah. we're patriotic, yeah. you know, and they, they, they get it. Like I can't stand what's happening with all these kids. And I just see it because I coach and, a lot of these kids, like, you know, it's fine. I, I'm very, we're very open to everything, but, you know, we've gone a little bit crazy. So just to have a good head on your shoulders and, uh, you know, and also family, loyalty. Yeah. All that. Where did, where does the patriotism come from? I mean, I've always been proud yeah. of being American and, and so is Jess. Um, my dad was in the army. Um, you know, we just, we love it here. You know, yeah. this is our country and yeah. I, you know, I've always just been patriotic. So yeah. I think, you know, teaching the kids to, I think it's important for kids to be patriots and love their country. So I, I was thinking about something, preparing to talk to you and you're the, you're the first person I'm ever going to ask this. I'm not asking, I don't want to know your, mm-hmm. your, it's a political question. I'm not asking what your political beliefs are. Republican. <laughs> nice. He leaned into the mic as he said that. My question is, what did you do to shape your beliefs? You know, I think, you know, growing up, my parents were, or my dad especially was, was a Democrat. And I thought I was a Democrat yeah, because I didn't know. And then, you know, you just start learning about the two parties and different things. And I, you know, I said, you know, dad, I, I think I might be a Republican, you know? And he's like, Oh no, son, you're, you're, you're not that. I said, yeah, I, I am. And I think he is too. He's just in denial. But, um, you know, you just learn about it and that just you're still learning now. And, you know, um, I think, you know, if you look at Democrats from 40 years ago, it's almost like a Republican right now. So like things kind of change and, 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 and move, but I mean, just shaping my beliefs has just been, you know, just paying attention to what's going on out there, seeing, um, 
just to, you know, well, when you own a business, for instance, and you're getting taxed to no end, yeah. you care how they spend the money. Yeah. And then you see them giving all your money away and you're like, what? I'm, I've worked hard for this money. You know, you're working half the year for free. So it'd be nice if it went to like roads and schools, but yeah. like, unfortunately our schools are so bad here. I got to put my kids in private school, Yeah. you know, and yeah. you know, the roads aren't great. The traffic's horrible, you know, and it's tough. So that's kind of shaped my belief system. And then just, I mean, for my kids, you know, I would tell them, you know, they could be whatever they want as long as they're not Democrats. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, they're pretty, I wouldn't, you know, my daughter, not at all, but they're pretty like center, right. You know, which sure. I think most of the country is. Yeah. I mean, you said, you said that they're, they're not woke, which I, I, I agree. And I think the pendulum, yeah. I, we're either watching it swing or, or it's, it's swinging. We don't realize it yeah. yet. But, but you hit the nail on the head for me, which is I, d I don't really worry at all about what people's politics are. I actually like talking to people with yeah. different beliefs so I can learn. And you said you're still learning, which I think is the that's the key. And we we kind of block that off sometimes right. and, and it creates angst. Yeah, like I'm probably when I think about it, more of a libertarian in a, yeah. in a lot of way, because I'm so anti, like not anti, I'm not anti-government. I just believe in limited yeah. government. Yeah, That's my own personal belief. But I'm fine with anybody being anything. Yeah, you know, that's that's fine. Totally agree. So, um, all right. So let's let's kind of finish this talking about mm -hmm. Aaron, which I'm sure is your favorite your favorite topic. So, um, I view you as a guy who has strong work ethic, but has always had good perspective to have balance in life. Um, that's something you agree yeah. with. Yeah. How did how does that play out in your life? How do you how do you think about it? Well. Like for me, and, uh, you know, just being able to coach, right? Like to be able to get off early and coach every day, it's such a privilege yeah. that a lot of guys don't have. I'm sure would love to coach, but their jobs don't allow them to do that. And, you know, I think my dad always says, you know, he's like, I'm jealous of you, son, because, you know, you're you're off early every day and you don't work weekends. That's why it's a choice. Like, I don't want to work weekends. Yeah. I can. Yeah. But I don't. Yeah. Cause I just, I feel like you need a little bit of free time to do your, you know, to do your hobbies, to do your other stuff, to be with the kids, to be there, you know, to be home at night, you know, yeah. I was home every night as the kids were growing up. I thought that was important just to huge, be, just to be present. Cause so many people don't have like a father present in the home. So I knew just, just being there, um, how important that was. So, I think just the balance for me is works like even like, you know, it's nice to make money, but money's not everything either. Yeah. You know, it's like, can you make more if you work a little more? Sure. But at a certain point, you know, like I feel like I'm at the point now where my life wouldn't really change if I made a lot more money yeah. I'm doing everything I want to do in my life now. Yeah. Like I'm not, nothing's going to change. Maybe some, some zeros, Yeah. but my hobbies, you know, coaching and everything else I do in life, working out, that's going to stay the same. So, you know, enjoy your life. I, I totally agree with you on the, on the money side. So let's talk about your hobbies. I view you as like the grown up ex gamer. That's, that's one of the things I think about. So what, what are your hobbies? And then we'll peel the onion back a little well, bit. I've always enjoyed working out. So I've always stayed in shape. Um, so I do work out quite a bit. But I'd say for like my, my true love, my true hobby is like skateboarding. Yeah. I've been skating since I was five years old. You wouldn't know it by looking at, you know, looking at me and, you know, I don't look like a typical skater. I'm 
kind of big, but I love it. And yeah. I've been doing it forever. My son skates with me. It's like one of our great bonds that we have together. Um, I surf as well. So real quick, when you, so where do you skate and what kind of skating? So we do mostly transition skating, like pool skating. And um, we skate at our local park here, Pedlo. But we also like to travel to different parks and try different pools. Yeah. I'll skate backyard pools here and there. Although those are a lot more like taxing on your knees. Sure. There's so much vert. Um, but it's just, I love it, man. Like to me, it's, it's one of the best, like I'm, I feel so good sometimes when I'm skating that it's just, and it's a workout, but it's yeah. the kind you get that's free because you don't even feel like you're working out, you know? So I skated some as a kid, but not kind of pool extreme yeah. type stuff. I'm assuming that it requires enough focus that everything else melts away. Is that a fair? Oh yeah, for sure. When you're in that moment, you know? You, you got to be hundred percent focused, Yeah, you know, and it's, I always say skating is all good until it's not, because when you do fall, that concrete is so punishing, you know, totally. So you can also fall in the water. You mentioned surfing. Yeah. So I still surf. I've been surfing. Uh, I pretty much picked up surfing in college and, uh, just been going ever since I've never really stopped. Although I don't surf with the same frequency as skateboarding. Yeah. Like skateboarding. I'll try to skate two, three times a week. Surfing is maybe once a week. Yeah. And then sometimes that one day that I can't surf, if there's no waves, yeah. and, uh, you don't go. Yeah. The, the skate parks are always, they, they always have their waves, right? Yeah. yeah. Un unless it's raining. Very predictable. So why, why um, is fitness such a big part of your life? <sighs> you know, I just, uh, to me, I always have the same still, still peaking. Like I want to still be peaking. I always want to be getting better. Right. So I'm always working. Um, like even now I'm probably one of the strongest I've ever been as far as lifts, which really does, I know doesn't matter, but it's something I enjoy. Yeah. I just enjoy part of it is I'm just a meathead and I love picking up heavy things, right? Like that's part of it, but just staying ready to staying on your game, being able to, uh, you know, for me, fitness is important because my hobbies require me to be fit like skateboarding and surfing and running around with the kids when I'm coaching rugby you know, I want to be able to show an example of how to do something. I got to be able to like get on the ground, make a tackle or do whatever. So I got to stay fit for that. And plus it's just better. It's yeah. better to be fit. Yeah, totally. No, I totally agree. And I, and you go after it hard. I mean, as much yeah. as anybody in our age demographic, I, I respect. Yeah. I mean, and I'll still like every once in a while you play, they have like these old boy games where, you, you know, old guys go play, which is a <laughs> terrible idea, but I still enjoy them here and there so. and that'd be rugby yeah yeah which uh i agree that could be dangerous but yeah. i'm sure in incredibly inspiring too um so the, so another area that i know you're passionate about is reading um how has that always been part of your life is it how's it kind of taking yeah. shape well i wouldn't i say i'm super passionate about reading i do enjoy reading um actually as as a kid i struggled with reading yeah and that was a tough thing for me um and then I really didn't find reading till about college, you know, it's like, you know, in my later years in college, actually, when I really started buckling down, you know, I, I wasn't doing great in college. And then with rugby, they said, Hey man, you, you need to have good grades to play. And that changed everything for me. Yeah. And then once I put in the effort, I realized, Oh, this isn't so hard, you know, college. And I started doing very well. And then, you know, I'd say now it's probably like, I listen to more books on tape than I read yeah. because it's just easier that way. Yeah. Um, but every once in a while, it's great to have a, 
a good book and yeah. learn something interesting. Yeah. I always say it's like the cheapest education you can possibly get yeah. to, to, you know, potentially listen to some, someone that wrote a book 2000 years ago, that's still relevant and you can buy it for $9. It's, it's pretty, it's pretty incredible. Um, what are your thoughts on luck? Well, there is luck. I, I mean, you can get lucky, but you have to be prepared for that luck. You have to be ready. You know, like you get ready. And then when the luck happens, you could capitalize on it. Um, I mean, we're lucky to live here, right? In the United States, in California. Like there's a lot of things. Lucky to be born into the family I was born into. So sure, I guess, you know, but I really think at the end of the day, you make your own luck. I think it's, I think it's great perspective. Um, do you feel like life is going by quickly or slowly? Oh, so fast. It's ridiculous. <laughs> I'd say like a week feels like a day, a month feels like a week and a year feels like a month. Yeah. Like that, that's like the pace we're going, especially with kids. I have a daughter who's 18. My son's about to be 17. They're going oh, to college yeah. next year. So just like, what that just all happened. Like, and now they're leaving. So like, Definitely as you get older, it's true. Time goes by faster. Yeah. Although I always say, if you want time to go slow, you could do one of two things. Uh, you can plank. Time goes by really slow <laughs> when you're planking, right? Uh, or you go in the sauna. And I call that the time machine too, because like, oh, there's only five minutes left. That's like the longest five minutes ever. So that that'll slow down time too. Yeah, I would say the 15 years I've known you the most uh, the thing we've texted the most about in the last couple of years is sauna and uh, yeah. your sauna games a little, I'm trying to get into your realm of g give us your routine, how, what temperature and how well, long. Yeah. I try to get it around 200 degrees and for 20 minutes uh, and try to do it, you know, as much as I can four or five days a week yeah. if possible. Um, kind of depends on my schedule, but yeah, I think it's, it's been great. I love it. You yeah. know, and it's tough. And I always say when it gets hard, like when you, when your body's telling you, like screaming at you, get out. Yeah, uh, that's when it's working. Yeah, I and totally agree. Like, like that is it. The easy parts, you know, in the beginning, you're like, yeah, okay, yeah, I'm starting to sweat. Yeah, not too bad. It's the end. I so totally just, agree. It's just like I told my son the other day. I said, you know, when you're working out, it's those last couple of reps that count. The early ones, it's fine. It's to get to those ones that you really have to try on. That's where the growth comes from. Totally. The hard ones. Totally. No, I totally, I totally agree. Um, and, and I'll back up your opinion. Those last five minutes are, are the longest five minutes, but I love your, I love your plank and sauna example. Yeah. Um, so, so personally and professionally, what are you working on right now with yourself? Well, personally, I mean, like I'm always working on my fitness. I'm trying to get, you know, trying to get in the best shape as possible, working on my, you know, diet. You can't, you know, you can't outwork out a bad diet. Yeah. I've kind of learned that. Yeah. Uh, over the years, um, with work, you know, we're just, we're trying to get the right equipment, just trying to get better, yeah. you know, just trying to, trying to get, always looking for the advantage, always looking for like different equipment that'll, you know, make things run better. Yeah. Um, things of that sort. And just, you know, looking for that next deal. Yeah. It's, you know, I always tell people it's easy. Selling metal is the easiest thing there is. Everyone's buying. I'm always buying. Yeah. It's it's finding it. Yeah. That's the hard part. Interesting. It's finding the metal. 
it, it, there's a lot of thematically, I think through this conversation, it's a lot of like iterative, just keep marching it, it, like your whole yeah. life has kind of well, been that way. Yeah. And I, I think my mom, when I first started my business, she gave me probably the best advice. She, and I don't know if this is true, but she said 80% of success is just showing up. Yeah. And I said, well, I can do that. I'm really good at that. So I just show up every day. And if I got no work, I still show up. It doesn't matter. I just keep showing up and things kind of happen. Yeah. So you just gave me a perfect segue. What What is, how do you define success? Well, I think like we spoke earlier, success for me is kind of like right now, I feel successful because I'm living the life I want to live. And that's, that's success, right? Like I'm doing the things I want to do. Uh, you know, we can go on the trips we want to go. You know, look, I have an obligation where I can't, with work or I, I do have to be there and I can't just take off for three months and go to Europe. Right. Like I would love to do, right. But maybe that'll come later. Right. But for the most part, I'm living a life that, that I want to live. So I feel like that, that part of my life is, is success. I, I mean, that is success. I don't even uh, think it's up for debate. I know you're yeah. defining it that way, but uh, it's incredible. I'm writing notes um, quickly behind. So um, little surprise for you. I asked Jess, to ask your children if there was anything they would like to ask you. So I have a couple questions from, we'll go Kayla first. We'll go in age order. Mm -hmm. What is your favorite memory of each of us? Okay. Well, I'll start with Kayla. Um, well, I think one of my favorite memories with Kayla is when uh, I was able to play on the USA Maccabi team. I kind of came out of retirement when I was 42 and um they they came to Israel with me and we we played in this tournament, won the gold medal, and they got to experience that whole thing with me. We got to go to all the sites together, the wall. So that was just a great wow. memory. Both kids were there, but you know, sharing that with her, um, you know, going to the wall and to uh Masada, all these different like cultural sites. It was just it was sure. a great moment. Um and then for Jake, so great memory well i just remember when we first started playing rugby he was pretty young at the time might have been 11 or 12 and um he got hurt pretty bad he hurt his shoulder he had to come out of the game and um so i was like all right you know he's out and then another kid gets hurt and we're, we're shorthanded and i i threw a ball at my son i said jake catch us and he caught it with his one hand and i'm like you think you could play he's like i don't know he's like, i only got one hand i'm like well, you can, you just caught that ball with one hand. Wow. Anyway, so he goes, I'll go back in. And he went back. I knew there was only like a minute left. There was no time left in the game, but he went in and uh, he made this big tackle with one arm. And he looked at me. And I swear to God, I was just about to start crying. Yeah. I was so proud of him. Of course. And then from that moment on, like, you know, rugby or sports, they, they tell you a lot about a person. And I just knew from that point on, I'm like, oh, he'll be all right. Yeah. No matter what life throws at him. It'd be like I, I felt comforted. I'm like, he'll be able to deal with it. You know, I saw I saw something in him. You oh, know, amazing. Well, in a week ago, you sent me a video of Jake, as you said, in beast mode, just nailing kids yeah. on the rugby field. Oh, which great. is, um, I, I'm sure someday if he is a guest on my badass friends, he'll talk about that moment when you yeah. uh, you just gave him that little nudge. That yeah, I mean, it was you know, I think my wife would not be too happy about that. <laughs> And his shoulder is still not that great to this day, but you know, you know, sometimes you got to step up and, and yeah. I just wanted to see, and he did. And 
I was very proud. Of that no, that's moment. amazing. And, and as a side note, like back to Kayla's, your memory of Kayla, for all the parents out there that maybe have an eight-year-old or 10-year-old or 15-year-old, and they're not getting playing time and, you know, kids evolve. And, and your story earlier, I mean, literally to go from playing the minimum in yeah. youth sports to becoming a professional rugby Hall of Famer, and you didn't say that because you're too humble in the Santa Monica Rugby Club to national champion to coming out of retirement at 42. Yeah. It's uh, you make your own luck, right? For sure. Yeah. So um, just a couple more things. So um, questions we've been asking everybody as we kind of wind things down. What is your favorite movie? Now, I knew this question was coming and it's tough because there's so many great movies. I'm like, how can you just take one movie? But I, I was thinking about it, and I think it's uh, They Live. Wow. I don't know it. You don't know They Live? John, John Carpenter movie? Oh, really? Okay. I know where John he Carpenter. Puts on, uh, he puts on the glasses, and the, you see all the aliens, and then you take them off. Never seen it. I'm okay. positive I've never seen it. Rowdy Rowdy Piper. Now you know that wrestler? Course, yeah. He stars in it. Okay. Dude, you've never seen this. No. Oh, my God. I will watch it tonight. I'm, There's so I'm many like kidding. little subliminal messages, and it's so good. Wow, they yeah. live. Okay, they live. Oh, okay. this is beautiful. What what um, book or books have had the biggest impact on you? Well, I know one of your previous guests said Legacy, but I do love that book. That yeah. is such a great book. Yeah. Um, it's just really the mindset and the culture that you need to create to have a, a winning team. And it really does translate in the business and sports. It totally does. And I think like my playing sports all these years, it's had such a like positive effect on business because I know what it's like to lose the biggest game, to lose a championship game. Yeah. Right. To So when you get in these situations with, with work, I mean, works, that's probably the hardest. It is hard. It's very hard, but you, you're, you're more, your body, your, your, your mind is used to these complications in, in life that yeah. happen and things don't always go your way. Totally. But yeah, I love that book is really, I'll go back every once in a while and just kind of go through it. Oh, it's a, it's definitely yeah. a book you should reread. And I, I, John Stone and I talked about it, and and he actually gave me my copy. It's mm. it's phenomenal. What is uh, what's something that no one or almost no one knows about you? Well, I mean, there's a lot of things because I'm I think I'm a pretty private person. Yeah, I think well, most people want to know that I'm probably a pretty sensitive guy. Like, <laughs> like like when I watch or if I'm reading a book and it's sad, like I I kind of tear up. And, you know, we don't cry too much, but like, like, like even a movie, you know, you just start tearing up. You're like, Oh God, what's going on? That's beautiful. <clears throat> yeah. So that, Jim Valvano said you should cry every day. So yeah, I don't know yeah. if I cry every day, but yeah, yeah. I, I, do, I do cry here and there. And uh, if you want to be inspired, what is your go-to song? That's another tough one. I knew it was coming and I, I, there's so many great songs out there. You know, sometimes it's, Sometimes it's DMX. Yeah. You know, it gets me pumped up or some kind of punk rock. But I mean, if you really got to think about it for our generation, it's it's got to be Survivor. I hate oh, the, the Tiger, man. Tiger. Whatever you're doing, you're going to do it like 20% better. I, if, at that's, least. if that song comes on, I mean, I'm, I love it. So um, kind of the last question, what what's your number one priority over the next five years? You know, I think it's obviously the kids making sure they end up in a good place for school. Um, I, it's it's just the kids. I mean, for me, it's making sure the business is running great so that, you know, it sets everything in motion yeah. for them and for us. But I just, you know, with the kids, you know, they got, 
you know, four or, or more years of uh, college coming up and then, you know, they're out into the real, real world. Yeah. So um, I think just making sure they're okay. I love it. It's the right priority. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? I don't know. I think we said it all. Maybe. We've, I think you have said it all. I, I wrote um, the word wisdom in quotes about halfway through this interview at the top of a piece of paper. Like you have, I know that you're going to say that's not true. There's so much wisdom in yeah. you and in this conversation. So um, last question, kind of an open-ended thing. Oh, if you, I might have something. Okay, please. I just, um, you know, I, I hear a lot of people come, even your podcast and people, you know, come on and they say, I knew from a very young age, I was going to do this. I was going to be a lawyer. I was going to be a doctor. I was going to be a surgeon. I still don't know what I want to do when I grow up. <laughs> and that's the truth. And I tell people like, you might not, not, you might not find what you love. Like I don't love scrap metal. I mean, I do it. I like it. It's fine. I think people need to know that you don't need, like I was undeclared for three years in college. Yeah. I didn't, I, I just, I don't know, you know, it's tough and I'm still looking. I think I've, I found my passion now, which is coaching, which really doesn't make you any money, which is fine. But I think it's important for, you know, younger people to know that it's okay not to know what you're going to do. And life sort of just happens. Like things just will happen and you just take advantage of the opportunities when they come. That's a perfect place to end our conversation. If you're comfortable ending it here. I'm comfortable. Uh, Aaron, you're, I'm so so happy that I drove three hours in traffic from San Diego to Los Angeles to be in your your beautiful home, looking out at your beautiful backyard and the 200 degree sauna. And uh, dude, you are just a rock star of a human being. And I'm so grateful that um, number one, you sat with me for an hour and a half or so. And, and number two, hopefully the people you care about will listen to this. There's the dog, beautiful timing. Yeah. Um, and, and will be as just pumped as I am. So I thank you so much. All right. You're welcome, man. I love hey, it. thanks for driving out. And you got to drive back. You forgot about we that. Gotta, we got to drive back. Um, all right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And we will uh, we will talk to you soon.